Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Um, the theme that Paul is getting ready to, to speak to is about uh, where you're headed. Like, where, where are you going? Um, I've had a few times where I was headed to a wedding reception or a gravesite service, and uh, I didn't know how to get there because I don't know how to get anywhere. My directional sense is so bad. And so you would see like different people leaving, and you would follow someone hoping that they were headed to the, the reception. Uh, you were trying to like kind of guessing, and you, then you would feel better because you realized there was multiple people um, that you remembered multiple cars you had seen in the, in the parking lot, and you're like, okay, I think I'm headed in the right way. And uh, I've, I've had one time, I remember that happening one time when I was just, uh, I was a kid. I think it may have been for a relative's funeral, and my parents and their friends were um, caravanning, like they were ahead of us, and um, we were driving to the gravesite. And somehow somebody got lost because they, I think they thought they were following the right person and they weren't. And um, I remember wandering around the back roads of Indiana. And uh, I remember we even circled through a grain elevator parking lot trying to figure out where the funeral procession had gone to. And I remember our friend cracking inappropriate jokes he you know he said he felt like rolling his window down and like asking people have you all seen a hearse like drive through here because we're they they couldn't figure out where they were headed so it's very important to make sure that the people that you're following are headed to where you want to go right you following me do you understand what i'm saying and that's what paul's going to speak to here let's let's read what he has to say philippians chapter 3 verses 17 through 19 brethren Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your word. We pray this morning that it would open it to us, that we would understand it, that it would speak to us, and that it would would transform us. You would use it to change us, Lord. Would you use it to wake us up if we're headed down the wrong path? Would you use it to draw us near to you if we're headed in the right direction, but we need to shore up our own walk with God? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul begins by encouraging this church. He says, I want you all to follow me. He said, be followers together. All of you together, follow after me. And then also watch and follow those people that walk the way I walk, the way I walked before you. I gave you an example. And Paul uses the idea of walking throughout his, uh, his letters as this idea of what it, what it is to um, to follow after Jesus. And Paul is, is encouraging them to follow his example. Oftentimes, because we emphasize very much and believe in this word and the supremacy of God's word and the sufficiency of God's word, and what that means is the Bible is our authority and it has everything that we need for life and godliness. And when we emphasize that enough, it can come across in such a way that it feels like that I'm saying, it doesn't 
you don't need to pay attention to anybody else. Don't look at anyone else. You just look to Jesus. I've heard preachers say that. I've probably said it myself. Don't look at people, just look at Jesus. But it seems like here that Paul doesn't say that. He says, look at me, follow me. In another passage, he says, be ye therefore followers of me, even as I follow Christ. Um, and, And here he says to them, brethren, follow after me, and then look at the people that walk the way I walked when I was with you all, and you follow after them. And I think that this admonition from Paul, it contains a very important truth about our Christian life. And that's the fact that God's plan and will always is for his word and law to be wrapped up in humans, to be lived out in human flesh. He gave us instructions throughout the Old Testament, but not only did he give instructions and laws, but he empowered prophets and priests and kings through his spirit to walk in that law so that they could lead the people that followed them. It's the pattern of the Old Testament. We see that God gives them kings And when those kings would obey God and follow God's will, then the people would walk in God's will and walk in God's law. When those people would walk away from God and disobey his will, then the the people would follow right after the disobedient king. And it's easy for you and I to say, "I I don't worry about anybody else. I just worry about myself. I don't pay attention to... But that's not really the way we're wired up. And I think if we get honest with ourselves, if we examine ourselves, everybody's following somebody. We all have people that we look to because we're social creatures and and the way we dress, the way we speak, the way we think, the way we entertain ourselves, all of those things are influenced by the people that are around us. And whenever we tell ourselves that's not true, it's usually because we're telling ourselves lies. Because there are people in your life that have influenced and affected the way you think and the way you live out that life. Paul recognizes this and he's encouraging the people. It's not a question of whether they're going to follow someone, but who they're going to follow. And so he tells them, you make sure you follow me. Follow the people that walk after me. Why is that? Is that arrogant of Paul? Is that controlling? Does that mean that Paul is, a, Paul is kind of a dictator? He's kind of the... the uh, head honcho and he's arrogant about his, uh, his lifestyle and he wants to impress it on anybody else, everybody else. No, it's because Paul has struggled and wrestled with this word and made sure that he's living out this word in his own life. And so it only makes sense that he would encourage other people to do the same thing. He's gone to a lot of the work to understand this word. He's highly educated in this word. So it's reasonable to say to others, follow me. We live in a world, and I spoke to you all about this two weeks ago, a a world that really dismisses and discounts any kind of expertise. Why would I need to listen to you? Um, I'm sure, uh, Sister Becky, in your your line of work as a nurse, you run into people that want to uh, pit their Google against your nursing degree because they they have all the answers right in their pocket. Uh, Any Any professional occupation that requires educational achievement struggles with that because there are people you have, uh, if you're a lawyer, you have people that walk in that have looked something up on Google or they've read something on Wikipedia, so they have the law answers. They they don't need a lawyer. They're just going to go in court and represent themselves. You have people that that, uh, in in any field of life, they've decided they have all the answers. 
what feeds some, into that sometimes is, is experts, quote on experts, that first of all don't always know what they're talking about or don't confine themselves to the things that they actually know about or they overstate their own ability and expertise and have no humility. But the solution for that is not for all of us to toss overboard anybody's opinion except our own. It's for all of us to, to be willing to be humble, to recognize the limits of our own knowledge, and when it comes to following God's word, personally submit ourselves to God's word, and then look out for people in our lives. Like Paul says here, mark those people who walk like Scripture says. Find people in your life that you can look up to and respect and walk like they walk. Follow after them. Imitate them. The Scripture doesn't call us... uh, Originality is not a fruit of the Spirit. And a radical individualism that ignores everyone's opinion except my own is not based in the, the truth of Scripture. God calls us to follow after people who are following after Jesus. Because none of us got where we're at on our own. None of us discovered the truth of Scripture by ourselves. I was thinking as I was studying for this, I was meditating on the fact that I have a a heritage of people that come behind me, or I should say uh, that have gone ahead of me, a heritage of people that I got to watch them walk. In our family, we oftentimes will bring up my grandpa's name because he was a man that walked a holy walk. He lived a holy life. His life was, was exemplary. He followed God's word. He lived in God's word. And he led people after him in that word. But grandpa didn't just discover it on his own. Now, his own family were not followers of Jesus. But there were people that he found to follow. And a lot of times the name that's mentioned is Maddie Pavey. Uh, a man that, that loved God, that led my grandpa to know God better, that was part of the reason why my grandpa was, was able to be a successful Christian. I've heard Grandpa Smith say so many times that the greatest thing that ever happened in his life was coming to know Jesus, and the second greatest thing that ever happened to him was coming to know God's people. And there's an unbroken chain of people behind me that are following Jesus. There are people ahead of me that have followed Jesus. And I pray that behind me, there's a song from Steve Green that, that came out years ago, but it's such a powerful song. It's a classic. And the, the chorus of the song says, Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. There are people that are going to follow after you. What are they going to find? What kind of footsteps are you leaving behind for them? And the reason why this is so important Paul develops in the second half of, his, of the scripture that we read this morning. He begins by saying, follow me. Look for people that walked like I walked. Follow them. Paul's locked up in prison right now. He can't be there with them. So that's why he's concerned. Find other people. Surround yourself, not with just one person, but with a group of people that are following Jesus. He says, this is why? Because there are many, and I tell you now with tears... The fact that he included that makes me feel better when I get a little choked up while I'm preaching because Paul did the same thing evidently. He said, I, I've warned you about these people with tears. He, he brings up that, that same kind of thought in other passages. He says, they are enemies of the cross. Now, is Paul speaking about people that don't even know God, that have never served God, they've never been in church, they don't know the Bible? 
I don't believe that's what Paul's talking about for, for a few different reasons, but one of them, probably the main reason, is because this phrase, when Paul says that he's warning people uh, and, and he's weeping over them, is something that is almost every single time he brings it up, it's connected to people that either claim to know God or who once did know God and no longer do. When he's bringing warnings in Acts chapter 20, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he's telling them that he's, he's headed on. He's, he's in fact, going to go to Rome. He's going to go to Jerusalem. And then uh, he's, he's going on this missionary tour. And he's being warned, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. You're going to be arrested. And he says, I- I'm, I'm going. It doesn't matter. This is what the Spirit compels me to do. And he warns them with tears. He says, there's going to come in wolves among you, not sparing the flock. He's warning about false teachers, people that put on a good profession, but they really aren't what they say they are. And for this reason, it would appear that Paul here is warning them with tears about people that either say they're a believer, and and it would appear that's what's happening. These people are still claiming to know God, and yet he says they are enemies of the cross. What does that mean to say that they're enemies of the cross? When he says these people, does does that mean... uh, Surely it doesn't mean that these people are militantly, loudly saying, Christianity isn't true, it's a lie, Jesus never rose from the dead, uh, God's word is not really trustworthy. Is that what, what Paul is talking about? But I think if you look at the way Paul develops this group of people that he's warning them about, you may get some hints about what it means to be an enemy of the cross. Listen, he says, many walk... They're enemies of the cross of Christ. And listen to what he says about them in verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. There is something that unites all four of those statements about these enemies of the cross. And I believe that it explains and underscores what Paul's talking about, what it means to be an enemy of the cross. Paul has been speaking to us about how his entire life has been shaped by the cross. The kind of life that he's telling them to imitate is a cross-shaped life. It's a life that's lived in the reality of the cross, in the shadow of the cross of Jesus. It's a life of self-sacrifice. A life of, of death to accomplishments. And, and, and death to applause of other people. It's the kind of life that Jesus lived. Remember that Jesus himself warned us. He said, beware when all men speak well of you. He says, uh, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice, be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. Jesus makes it clear that to live following him is to be rejected by people. It is to be forced to reject the applause of people, and my own personal comforts, my own personal self-righteousness, to let go of all those things. But Paul says there's a group of people that aren't like that. They're enemies of the cross because, listen, their, their end is destruction. That's why it's so dangerous because Paul says, I see the end of the cross-shaped life is resurrection. But the end of the cross-rejecting life is destruction. Because their God is their belly. Now, for those of us that sometimes 
worry a little bit about eating too much food, I want you to understand that that's, that's not what Paul is necessarily aiming directly at here. When he says their God is their belly, he is not just saying that the thing you have to worry about is people that eat too much food. He is speaking of an entire lifestyle that's controlled by our own temporal appetites. In other words, these are people that have made their own desires and hungers and lusts the controlling factor of their life. Remember that the writer of Hebrews warns about people that would be like Esau, who for one morsel of meat despised his birthright. And when he speaks of that, he's not warning them that there's going to be a temptation that comes where somebody's going to offer you a bowl of soup and say, will you take... Can you eat this bowl of soup? If only you'll just deny Jesus. Temptation doesn't usually look like that. He's speaking of of the temptation to make a consistent pattern of putting my own creature comforts ahead of my own spiritual well-being. That's what Paul's concerned about. And a person can develop such a pattern of that deference to self and that self-centered living in their day-to-day Uh, behaviors, that they reach a point where what Paul says here is true of them. Their God is their belly. I think it does apply to the way we eat. We've had discussions in our Bible studies about the need to, to make a pattern of fasting in our lives. Now, I understand there are people that physically you just can't do that. You have uh, issues with, with sugar, um, you, maybe uh, uh, hypoglycemic or whatever, and fasting is just not something that you can do. But my question would be, do you ever deny yourself at all in any way? Um, do you ever set aside sugar or, or fats or whatever? And, and even down that road of self-denial, There's the danger where I become controlled by that aspect of self-denial. I think it's instructive for us that that when it comes to eating disorders, medically speaking, there's two different kinds of eating disorders, aren't there? There's there's anorexia and there's bulimia. They're both terrible, but they're they're two very different things. In the one, the person would gorge themselves uh, and and then they would, would... vomit that food back up to keep it from affecting their their weight. And the other case, the person just doesn't eat at all. And in both those cases, it's an unhealthy relationship with food. In our own personal habits, we can have an unhealthy relationship in two different ways. We can do it by never denying ourselves, or we can do it by turning that self-denial into an aspect of of self-righteousness. But it's not just about food. Is there anything in your life that you can set aside? Or are you controlled by uh, it? We could go down the list, couldn't we? The phone in our pocket or uh, our sleep schedule. Um, And the saints of the past have all taught us that denial of sleep, denial of comfort, denial of food, all those things can be tools of spiritual discipline that help us to grow. Why is that? Because the greatest danger in my life is to make me an idol. And this is an especially great danger in the world that we live in today. Because our world is gripped by a, by a, um, a pain-pleasure kind of worldview that says, what's good is what makes me feel good. This is a world where, um, where a, a royal couple will step away from their responsibilities and their, their uh, privileges 
as a royal couple and walk away from all that. Why? Why would they do that? Because they say, I just, it's not me. I can't see that. I'm not, you know what they're saying at root? And I'm not saying this to attack or to, to but, but the point there is that at the end of the day, they say, but life is about me. And this isn't what I want. This isn't what I would enjoy. So I'll walk away from commitments and promises because it's about me. Do you know where, where this making your belly your God will lead to? It'll lead people to, people to walk away from marriages, not because sin has occurred and because a, a biblically sound uh, reason for that marriage to end has happened, but because I just he's keeping me from being my best self. I'm just, I need to choose joy. I want what's best for, I want what makes me happy. And Paul says that these people are enemies of the cross. I want to warn you. I want you to understand something. There are, there are Christian celebrities, and pardon the scare quotes, there's Christian celebrities out there that have embraced a self-centered, self-focused lifestyle and have called it Christianity. There are people that have rejected the cross. They're enemies of the cross of Jesus. They know nothing of what it means to deny self and to embrace the cross of Christ. And yet they call this living your best life now. Being, uh, being your best self. It can even couch itself in what sounds like spiritual terms. But Paul tells them with tears, don't go down that road. Embrace the cross. These people, their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. They mind earthly things. Is there anything that would apply more directly to the world we live in than that phrase, their glory is their shame? Do you know what Paul's saying? He says that they've turned, they've turned the gospel upside down and God's law upside down. So they are proud of things that God hates. And they reject the things that God loves. We live in a world that's embraced sexual deviancy, that's embraced uh, pornography and all kinds of wickedness, abortion. And instead of just saying, do you know, we're all, we're all sinners, we all mess up, we all do things that we shouldn't do, I'm not too proud of it, but, but you know, you probably aren't proud of everything you've done. No, that's not what our world says anymore. You know this, don't you? What they say is, I'm proud. God made me this way. I'm proud of who I am. What are they doing? They're making their shame their glory. Glorying in their shame. And then what scripture says that we should humble ourselves under God's mighty hand so that he could exalt us. No, humility isn't part of us anymore. Because to humble myself, I might have to relinquish power and influence and platform and my, my social standing. So no, no apologies, because you might use an apology against me. So I'm never going to apologize. Instead, I'll glory in my shame. And to mind earthly things. And at root, what, we're concern, what, what that lifestyle is describing, every part of it's connected back to the idea that the here and now is all I have. Isaiah says something like, eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die. 
I'm not worried about the spiritual self, my character and my person, the part of me that will live on and on and on. No, what I'm concerned about is grabbing life with everything I've got. Just do it. Just enjoy yourself for right now. Because this world is all that matters. This life is all that counts. And in the end, Paul says to embrace that lifestyle is to become an enemy of the cross. Let me say something, and I want to say it very clearly. You will not get to heaven without self-denial. If you do not hone within yourself the ability to say no to your own desires so that you can say yes to God and to His will, you will become a spiritual shipwreck. And as Paul begins here, he says, your end will be destruction. Jesus says, don't just fear those that, uh, that can harm the body. He said, you should fear those that can harm the body and the soul. Because we, we in, in our day and age, we... we we think in terms of time and right here and now and what feels good and looks good and what I enjoy. But there'll come a day when all of that is stripped away. And the question will be, what did you do with the cross? What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with God's word? And that's why Paul is anxious to tell these people, follow me, walk after me. Because if you don't, you won't go where I'm going. You will not end up at the destination that I'm headed to. It was about 2004, the very first time that I drove through Chicago. I was on a trip with my sister uh, to a Bible school out in South Dakota, and I headed up I-65, and then I got on the turnpike, and um, I saw something that I get to see pretty regularly now that I live here in Chicago, but I think what I saw was a Porsche 911 GTS 4. It was uh, like one of the most expensive Porsches they've made. It's a it's a um, it's an open top convertible. It, it's just it's an amazing car, um, and I like cars. And when I saw that car on on the uh, turnpike, and you know on the turn on the on the I90, they book it up there sometimes. And so the Porsche would pull in and out of traffic, and then he would hit the accelerator, and he was, I think he was staying about 80, but he would hit maybe 85 or 90 when he would hit the, 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 the open way, uh, open areas. And um, so I wanted to get a better look at it, and I also wanted to make good time. So in my little green Camry, I kept up with him, and I got to keep seeing this beautiful car. And the miles ticked by, and uh, then I saw the signs for Milwaukee. And I realized that I had taken a wrong turn because Milwaukee is not on the way to South Dakota. Um, Now, I could have actually gone up uh, 290 and gone across on 90, except that I had friends that I was going to be staying off that night with on Interstate 80 in Iowa. And uh, so I had gone hours out of my way, like two or three. I was, I was nearly up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Funny little story illustrates how poor I am with directions. But what it also shows us is that the people we follow 
determine the direction that we go and the destination that we end up at. When you choose people to model your life after who don't live a Jesus-shaped life, who don't practice self-denial, who practice self-idolatry, uh, then you are running the risk of endang- you are endangering your soul. Because those people are headed somewhere. And it's not the place you want to end up at. It starts in small ways. But the reason why Paul is, in, is, is giving them this warning, it, this isn't just an on-off switch, because I recognize that we could make this a, an extreme sermon, and, and somebody could take it that Brother Martin's saying, well, you should never enjoy yourself, never eat a big meal, never, uh, never try to look nice. Now, we could go down the list, couldn't we, of all the things that you shouldn't do because you just deny self in every way possible. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is in those moments when you realize that self is trying to become elevated, trying to grab the steering wheel of life so that, so that uh, my self-centeredness becomes the, the sun that my world orbits around, I have to make conscious decisions to say, no, that's not what my life looks like. It would make my world a lot easier right now. It's a lot easier to keep our mouth shut and our head down. It's a lot easier to choose, to, to choose pleasure instead of pain. To choose the applause of people instead of the praise of God. It's a lot easier to choose what makes me feel good instead of to, to choose the things that build virtue and courage in my life. But the reason why I've chosen to make the right choice, and I keep choosing over and over again. It's not just one choice, but it's a daily life of choices. Is because I see the end. I know where it's headed. I know what it will look like someday. And I want to be, be able to look back with the perspective of eternity and say, I am forever grateful that I chose momentary pain for eternal reward. It's a good trade. It's worth it. As the tears stream down Paul's face, he says, follow me. Because I warn you, those who don't, those who choose to mind earthly things, are going to someday eternally regret their choice because their end is destruction. Jesus says like this. He says, uh, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Choose earth, and you lose heaven and earth. But when you choose heaven, you find a life of increasing joy and happiness here and eternal rewards later. Choose life. Follow me. Find people in your life that follow Jesus and follow them. Encourage one another to follow after Jesus so that all of us may someday look back on this life and and breathe a sigh of relief and sing praises to God and to his grace that we have made it, that we will be eternally rewarded. The suffering just endures for a moment. 
but joy comes in the morning. If I understand faith, it's not counting on me. It's the hope and assurance of what I can see. It's the daily relying on Jesus to be providing more grace faithfully. Further proving his great love for me with grace for the moment, all that I need, grace for the moment, and faith to receive the promises given to those who. that I need the promises given to those who believe grace for the moment